0: Hey guys, and welcome to the Money Podcast. News about the war in Ukraine and financial upheavals everywhere these days. Add to that the increasing pressure on our budgets from rising gas prices and interest rates and a roller coaster stock market. The next thing you know, you're questioning whether your retirement savings are in danger. When events are out of your control, it's easy for emotions to affect your decisions. And that's when people are prone to making money mistakes. Today we're going to talk it out with Kendrick Maddox, an experienced fiduciary advisor managing more than one billion dollars. I'm Stacy Johnson. My co-host today is Pam Kruger, now CEO of WealthRamp, a free matching service pairing investors with fiduciary advisors. Let's get the ball rolling, but first a disclaimer: Should we discuss specific investments in this show? Do not take them as recommendations because they are not. Before you invest in anything, you've got to do your own research. You got to make your own decisions. Okay, let's get back to the topic at hand, Kendrick. Before we begin. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you happen to become a a billion-dollar money manager?
1: Well, I should clarify. My firm advises on a little over $5 billion, um, but I don't think it would delineate it out where I solely manage $1 billion. But uh, it's it's a large amount of assets that our firm uh, manages and I get involved with. Uh, The way I got into the business um, was I really wanted to be on the research analytical side. Um, So I went down the path of getting my uh, chartered financial analyst, my CFA and working uh, on the research side for a small RIA. But I found that what I really enjoyed doing was a combination of the research and working with clients. Um, I really liked the non-academic side, uh, the behavioral finance side, the working with clients to help them not make the big mistake. So I transitioned out of purely research into working with clients. Um, and have been doing that for a little over 20 years.
0: I, I like hearing that Southern accent, by the way. It makes me a little homesick.
1: <laughs>
0: Kendrick's in Georgia and, I, and I'm from Atlanta. Well, I'm actually from Tennessee originally, but I grew up in Atlanta. So anyway, welcome to your Southern accent, Kendrick. Uh, uh, it's uh, nice to have one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It's nice to hear. So Pam, lead us off with some questions. What, what kind of things do we want to know from Kendrick?
2: Yeah, I, then Stacey, you and I and Kendrick, The three of us have been around these markets for a really long time. Let's not say exactly how long. No, (laughs) I'm not doing that. But I wanna say that we, each of us have lived through stupendous raging bull markets. Yes. And we've seen some very scary, sudden steep declines. And the one thing that the three of us have learned is stay calm and invest. And the question is, but how? I hear that all the time, but, you know, I thought a lot about this and so many people feel like when they see the news every single day, the market reacting, you know, in, in every little teeny tiny zig and zag. And so you automatically feel like, Oh, I'm supposed to do something too. I'm supposed to mirror that. How can I keep up? How do I know the latest? And you know, the reality is, We know that in order to stay invested, uh, you really have to have some technique, you have to have some collaborative help, if you will, or you have to just be able to uh, understand the steps that you need to take to do that. So Kendrick, knowing that this is not about reacting, successful investing has never, ever been about reacting to events, world events that are playing out right now, especially. It's about reassessing. So, what does that look like right now? Is it too late to make changes or rebalance? Because now the market, you know, has changed and gone down. What, how do you reassess right now?
1: Yeah, and I really do like your terminology of uh, reassess, because um, you don't want to just be uh, overreactionary. Um, you know, the whole thing starts, uh, Pam, as you and I have discussed in the past, with being prepared for this in the first place. Um, so, you needed to have the right asset allocation. Um, to where you could withstand the sort of volatility that won't cause you to panic. Um, and you needed to do the right planning work that made sure you had the cash flows or the capital available for any large expenditures that you had. Um, so that, that helps in the first place, um, as you mentioned before, you know, buying the umbrella before the storm comes. But now that you're here, um, you don't want to overreact. Um, you don't want to panic. Um, you do want to reassess your portfolio that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to even do anything. Um, sometimes reassessing is looking at your portfolio and saying, okay, I'm good. I'm in a good position. I don't need to do anything. Other times it might be the right time to rebalance. And that'll be in conjunction with your long-term asset allocation. So let's say you're it's supposed to be you know, 70% stocks, 30% bonds, and you wake up and you're 60, 60% stocks. Well, now's a good time to start thinking about rebalancing and going back to your 70, 30. But if you wake up and you're only you know 68% stocks, maybe you can do nothing for a little while. Um, the whole idea is to not panic and to not be rea- reactionary, as you said, and to just reassess every single day and make sure you're doing the right thing, whether that's rebalancing or doing nothing. But you okay. know, let me jump
0: yeah. in here real quick, Pam, if you don't mind. Um, we're facing two black swan events that nobody saw coming, right? There was COVID and now there's this war. And oh, and also inflation. I mean, who saw 8% inflation coming, right? So what you're saying, I understand, Kendrick, but let me me tell you my situation because I'm really not here to do a podcast. I'm here to get my own personal financial advice. So (laughs) as a retired, I'm semi-retired. I'm 66 years old. I manage my own 30 stock portfolio. And I've been thinking a lot about what to do. And I've, been, I've done this podcast for a long time. And I'm telling you that in December, I said, you know what, this, this bull market is almost over. Uh, j- just as a, just a matter of regressing to the mean, the stock market has to come correct at some point. It can't go up 20% every year. So I, I had a feeling the market was going to look bad this year. And of course, I was right about that. So I accurately predicted the current market decline. And I firmly believe there's more to come, even as we speak. Uh, and and by the way, as we speak is March sixteenth and for those of you who are watching this at some other time, so anyway, I'm thinking about what to do. um some mornings I wake up wanting to sell everything because I've made a lot of money in the market. Uh, on the other hand, as an experienced investor, I know that that creates a new problem, namely knowing when to buy back in. So here I sit watching my net worth falling and it's fallen. but I'm frozen like a deer in the headlights. and I, and I've done this for forty years, forty plus years yeah. What are your thoughts for me right now?
1: Um, Well, you're also, I do like what you said that you thought about this prior. um, And I hope that you did some rebalancing prior to this. That is one of the key things to long-term investing is you have to rebalance on the up and the downside. You have to reduce your risk after a large run up in the market, because as you pointed out, regression to the mean, it's going to come against you at some point. Um, and hopefully you did enough rebalancing in that point where you have some uncorrelated assets whether it's cash um some bonds although bonds in some situations are down more than stocks this year um,
0: I, I don't have any bonds at all I, i've never been a bond buyer yeah uh, and 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 frankly to be honest with you i i sold almost nothing yeah. uh, but i but i have a lot of cash too yes. you know i mean yes. i stopped what i stopped doing was putting more money in the market
1: yes and so yes. it
0: that automatically rebalances me somewhat and, and well, I also own a bunch of oil stocks, uh, which have done obviously very well. Uh, so I'm not freaked out, but it's hard to know what to do. And I can just imagine what people, you know, what average people are doing. This is what I do for a living. You know, yeah. so I'm, I'm sure people must be freaking out.
1: It, it, it is hard. I can remember um, 2008 um, when it was probably its hardest, um, a lot harder than it is today, but it's still hard. And every day I would come to the office and sort of reassess, are we doing the right thing? Um, Are we looking at portfolios correctly? And then I would remind myself of the history of the stock market, I would look at the fundamentals, um, and I would say, yes, we are doing the right thing. And the right thing is to not panic, um, stay invested, rebalance, use this as an opportunity to tax loss harvest, because that's another big key, you said, You got to know when to buy back in, but you're also going to be buying back in with less assets because if you've made any money the last 10 to 15 years, which everybody has, when you sell, unless it's in an IRA, you're going to have a tax hit. And it's doubly hard to make it back to where you were um, if you sell, especially if you miss the timing. So our advice is usually stick to your long-term game plan. Um, now you may learn a lesson. You may learn that being 100% stocks is not where you should have been, and that you should have been, you know, 10% cash or 10% bonds um, or 10% hedge funds or whatever it may be. Every individual is different, um, right. but that may be the lesson you get is that wow, I shouldn't have been quite that aggressive.
2: But yeah. now is not
1: the time to to panic and and sell those
2: down, even if the market continues to fall, which it's mm-hmm. very well likely. Kendrick, a couple of follow-on questions that come to my mind immediately. Number one, back to rebalancing. You know, six months ago, you and I talked about rebalancing. All we were talking about is how people's portfolios have drifted more into stocks, and now here we are, six months later. As Stacy pointed out, these black swan events, you know, and and the market's now the other way. The pendulum swung the other way, so that so that rebalancing asset allocation. And I always like to say diversification wins all battles. And I want to ask you, knowing that the whole point of growing your wealth or the the main foundational uh, way to build wealth is to stay invested. And you want to try to do that. What is the biggest cardinal mistake you see people making at times like this? Well, it's, of course, what we're
1: talking about is panicking selling at the wrong
2: time. Um,
1: it's really hard to make up your wealth if you sell uh, stocks or other sort of assets that are volatile at the wrong time. And you can just give a quick math lesson, which I'm sure everybody knows this, but let's say you had $100 um, and the market fell 25%. Now you've got 75 $75. So to get back to even, you do have to go up a long way. You have to go up 33%, which is really hard, but can happen quicker than you think. But the detrimental part is, what if you sold something? What if you sold another $25, and all of a sudden you only have 50? Well, if you're going to get back up to 100, now you've got to double your money. You've got to go from 50 to 100, which is double, which is a lot harder than going from 75 to 100. So that's why selling at the wrong time can really be detrimental to uh, someone's portfolio. And that's why, as we've discussed, you have to plan beforehand. The only reason people sell are one, because they panic and they sell at the wrong time, or two, they need the money. So doing the right planning in the first place to make sure you have the living expenses or the capital you need for some large purchase, um, it's done beforehand, will enable you to ride out these down markets. And down markets can last for a long time. Um, yeah. So you may need two years of living expenses. Um, you, This is a short two-month downturn right now. Um, right now, it may continue to go a lot longer um, and get a lot uglier because energy stocks are up, Berkshire Hathaway's up, Vanguard value's barely down, uh, MLPs are up, um, lots of things are up or down a lot less, but it could continue to go down and you could find that everything is down um and you still can't panic you need to follow your long term you know one
0: of the, one of the things plan. i said kendrick on a recent podcast that i did was in times like this if you're not going to adjust your portfolio that's fine adjust your expectations because i think right. you know when, when the market goes up 20% a year for 3 years in a row you know you know what happens it happens to all of us it happens to me too yes. you suddenly believe that you're smart you know that I'm so brilliant that I bought this stock and it's doubled, it's tripled, and you you believe you've got the market now, you understand it, and yes. yet you're just about to have your hat handed to you, and so you you've got to know these things are going to come, even though you it's painful, and you you pretend like they're not going to, they are going to. And so you have to adjust your expectations. So at least I can say, I didn't adjust my portfolio a lot this January, but I adjusted my, my expectations and I, and I haven't been disappointed.
2: Because See, I that's the kind of, <laughs> and that's the kind of sage advice I, it, that really does come from experience. It's only coming from your own experience that you really know Absolutely. that it's really smart. Um, Kendrick and Stacy. I think that one thing that Kendrick alluded to, that I have to find a more exciting way to describe this. I call it the F word maybe. It's <laughs> financial planning. How <laughs> vanilla. How boring does that sound? And what the heck does financial planning have to do with investing? Kendrick, financial planning is investing. You can't have an investment strategy unless, just like you said, you've already ahead of time built liquidity into that financial plan. And if you're a retiree and you may need Three years of retirement expenses in cash. That's how you can weather the storm right now. You don't want to have that much money in cash. Where are you going to put it? You know, I bonds, you can buy $10,000 worth of I bonds. But Kendrick, let's talk a little bit about the connection between the financial planning that comes before the investment strategy and how that really helps.
1: Yes, um, planning is definitely very important and it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Um, And no two plans sort of look alike. Um, Sometimes you're dealing with a very complicated estate, um, which, and the person doesn't have to worry about the cash flow. But more often than not, it's really talking about retirement planning and understanding uh, how much cash you need to live. That way you can build a portfolio uh, correctly to make sure that you do have enough cash. Um, And it's an ongoing plan and an ongoing part of the process of understanding where someone is and what their needs are so you're not forced to sell at the wrong time. Um, And then it's up to the advisor also to help with what we sort of call bucket management, where you need to have the living expenses in one bucket. And then you need to have maybe some more volatile bonds in another bucket. And then you've got to have a third bucket that's your stocks and other growth assets. And when those growth assets are going up, you got to trim those back and replenish the cash portfolio. But then, when those stocks are down, you got to let them ride, and you use the money that you put aside for living expenses for a year, two years, maybe even three years. So it's understanding someone's situation and their cash flow needs, and then managing those cash flow needs, and then of course the expectations, like Stacy said. I mean, we tell clients that you should expect the stock market to fall. 20 to 25% at any moment for any reason. And it's usually not reasons that you're predicting. I mean, we were not talking about the Ukrainian-Russian situation prior to this. Uh, we were talking about inflation, um, and that slowly sort of crept up. But we really didn't start talking about that till you know late last year.
0: Well, you know, but here's the thing, Kendrick. I don't want my portfolio to go down 25% because that makes me 25% poorer, and I hate that. No, 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 you're
1: not 25% poor unless you sell. Okay, thank you. If you you. sell, then you're 25% poor. Then you've locked
2: in that loss. And then if you've lost 50%, you again, math of losses, it takes 100% return just to get back to square one, which is why I understand so clearly the cardinal rule is don't put yourself in a position where you need the cash so that you have to sell a growth asset while it's growing or it's going down. Yeah,
0: you know, I was I was obviously kind of joking there, but it does lead me to another question. <laughs> Do you hedge people's portfolios, Kendrick? Actually, you want know I want to stop there for a second and make sure people understand exactly what we're talking about. Like you said, you were an IRA or a... Yes. All right. A minute ago, when we started the podcast and that means registered investment advisor, we have a lot of novice people that are going to be seeing and, and listening to this. Um, and so, and when you say balance, when you say balance, what, what do you mean by rebalance a portfolio? Let me ask you that first, then we'll go into something else.
1: Well, rebalancing is, is really when you take, you know, you've got, let's just say you've got three main buckets in your portfolio, let's say, or maybe four, you've got cash, you've got your uh, investment grade fixed income, you've got your stocks. And then let's say the fourth bucket was probably some form of hedge funds um, that not everybody uses and is not appropriate for everybody at all. Um, But there are a lot of people that use those. So rebalancing, a minor rebalance to us is when we rebalance our stocks. So we like a portfolio that, you know, let's say, is half value stocks, uh, low PE stocks, half growth stocks. And, you know, the last 10 years, those growth stocks have really dominated and ridden way up. So to rebalance if you wake up and your stock portfolio is 60% tech stocks, 40% value stocks, rebalance back to your 50/50, which is selling your winners, which is tech, and buying your losers, which is value. Um, and that protects you in an environment like this.
0: Cool. Okay, now Out let me go back. To, up. Now let me go back to my question. Hedging for those of you who who don't understand this concept, means buying an investment that's going to increase in value, my other investments are going down in value. Uh, An extreme example of that would be buying put options or shorting a stock or something like that. So my my question, so the, the point is, if you're a novice out there, the point is there are strategies you can use that will offset any losses you take in your stock portfolio, or at least that's the hope, that's called hedging. So now, Kendrick, back to my question. Would you, are you hedging your client portfolios at this point?
1: Well, I'm going to look at it in three ways. So the first hedge really is diversification, um, which, so it's not a specific using options or anything of that nature, but it is buying assets that behave differently in different markets.
0: Like I do with my oil stocks, my oil stocks have gone up,
1: right? Yes. that's That's a great example that that has gone up and it was really hard to buy oil stocks because the world was against oil stocks and they were underperforming and you had the green energy movement. So that was a brave move you made to buy those oil stocks, but it was diversifying your portfolio, which is a form of hedging. Okay, um, And you can put other assets in there also. Um, the second way our clients hedge is when you hire someone who's actually running a hedge fund. Now that's a huge, big spectrum of things. We're not talking about these shoot for the moon type um, gunslingers, I'm talking about managers who were looking um, to run a portfolio that will hedge against the stock market and give you an asset that can potentially be up when other things are down. Um, and we do do that for a lot of our clients, but not all of them um, are comfortable with that, or it's not even appropriate for all of them. The third thing you mentioned was actual hedging, which is, you know, buying or selling puts and calls. Um, and we don't typically do that for our clients. Um, and there's two reasons. One, it's really expensive to do for yeah. the long-term. And it really eats into the long-term performance only to have a temporary um, up when something's down. Um, so we don't tend to do that, especially using put options. And on the call options, we've never really liked to, uh, the cover call so much because they tend to get called away right when the stock yeah. is going up.
0: Yeah, I agree with um, that.
1: And it used to be that we did that more often. And at my prior firm, I did it a lot more because you really could generate more income selling those calls. Calls are not very expensive right now um, on that side. So it really doesn't give a lot of income in the portfolio. So we don't do any puts and calls except for very specific situations. A lot of times a client will come to us and they have one low cost basis stock that is 50% of their net worth that we're slowly getting out of the portfolio, that's when we might use options because it's very specific. But we don't do it very often on you know, broad, broad-based um, equities um, or stocks.
2: Yeah, that, that makes sense to me, especially because you're looking at everything like the big picture over the course of investing over 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you're not looking at five-year returns or two-year returns or one year, but there is that instant gratification that we always get when we say we successfully hedged, the gold went up. Mike, I, I mean, I just heard someone very close to me just yesterday say, oh, you know, my gold went up and, you know, Of course, in the portfolio, gold is this much. It's a very small percentage, but it feels so good to know that something went up when things are going down. And the other instant gratification that's happening right now is people are feeling like, ooh, shouldn't Bitcoin, shouldn't cryptocurrencies be a hedge? And the reality is, no, not yet. What a joke. Not (laughs) at all. Well, if you look, uh, cryptocurrencies are down
1: this year um, and the last six months and the last 12 months. So um, anybody that thought there were going to be a hedge, that was pure speculation, because we don't have enough enough history to know if they're a hedge or not. But it turns out in this market, they're not a hedge. But you did mention gold. Um, Gold is up this year. And it's
0: up. I own some of that, too, which has been horrible. Uh, and now is looking better. But what, what? so what do you think of gold? Do you buy gold? And for
2: that feels good.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, yes. I'm looking for anything that makes me feel good these days. And that does. I don't, I I own, you know, maybe five, 10%, not even 10, probably 5% in gold.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: You is know, that
1: something you would do, Kendrick? The the problem historically with gold, and it's changing a little bit, um, is, is twofold. One, we've never really known how to value gold. Is it overvalued or undervalued? Since it doesn't produce, it doesn't yield anything, and it doesn't have revenues, you can't do any fundamental analysis on what the value should be. So that's always been a problem. The second thing has been that you always have bonds as your diversification. You can always go into investment grade um, bonds, whether they're muni bonds or or high, you know, investment grade corporate bonds. That's always been a great diversification tool. The problem is, is that it's hard to make money in bonds right now. So you're sitting there and you're saying, wow, I'm going to buy a bond that's going to give me 2% for 10 years. You're just locking in almost no returns. And with inflation, interest rates going up, you're in a situation now where most bonds are down this year. So gold is becoming a lot more, um, I guess, of an opportunity or kind of a go-to than we used to have. Um, It's not been one that we've used for every client. Um, but it's one that we've used for particular clients. And it's really considered a lot more now because of the bonds, and especially for clients who don't want a low volatility, low correlated hedge fund. Because a lot of those times what we're saying is, we're looking for an asset class that'll give us downside protection. Um, We don't expect it to outperform stocks in a really big market, but we do expect it to outperform bonds over the next 10 years. And so gold has come back into the conversation for the first time for us and for my clients. um, First time in probably 10 years that we've really started discussing
2: it. The last 70-ish years, the average peak to downturn is about 13.5%. And we're pretty much right in line with that right now. And I don't think that we're technically in a bear market, but it sure feels that way. And Kendrick, you know, behaviorally, what I love about what you do is that the reason I brought up the financial planning is because you are a a chartered financial analyst, which is very heavy on the investment side. And yet you're really helping to reinforce the importance of that financial planning and building the liquidity, building the diversification into that plan. So, I mean, coming from you, I really appreciate this advice
0: yeah and you know what i wanted to say too and i, I know that you guys uh, want to bring you should want to bring this up because what you do for a living is you help people manage their money uh, pam helps people find a money manager and kendrick obviously is a money manager um and, and so i want to tell you a really quick story my whole career uh, which is 40 years long being a financial journalist and i was also an investment advisor i always told people you don't need an investment advisor it's not that difficult this is not rocket science but as i've gotten older I've actually literally changed my opinion on this. And, and the reason why is simple, because my own experience, I'm getting older, I'm, I'm looking older, I'm not feeling older. But anyway, um, <laughs> I am actually getting older. And now my nest egg has gotten big relative to where it was, certainly. And so yeah. now any mistake that I make is hugely magnified because of the amount of money that's involved. And this is, not, this is the rest of my life I'm talking about. So now it makes sense to me. It didn't make sense when I was 30. It didn't make sense when I was 50. I mean, I'm a CPA. I've done this my whole life. But as I've gotten older, I want to make sure I'm on the right track. I want to talk to somebody like Kendrick, uh, and I can go through find Kendrick through somebody like Pam and make sure that I'm doing everything right. And I don't mean to make a commercial. I'm just telling you the truth. You know, the older you get and the bigger your nest egg gets, the more you might want to get a little outside advice, and for no other reason, just to know that you're doing the right thing.
2: Yep. Stacy. I had the same experience when I was on the air on PBS. Um, I listened to our viewers who kept telling me they wanted to talk to a fiduciary fee-only advisor. And I was the one saying, no, you can do this yourself. But then I realized people want to collaborate and they want to meet people like Kendrick. And that's, that's the whole reason I created WealthRamp.com, to connect people to vetted fiduciary fee-only advisors.
0: And so, you now t- tell give us a little bit more about that, Pam. Again, this isn't a commercial, but you know, exactly what is it that you do?
2: No, it's the truth. It's, it's where it came from. Um, I didn't even want to do this. I did it because our viewers kept saying, Pam, you're never giving us names of advisors. And I really want an advisor. Uh, Kendrick is just one advisor who's in our network, our national network of advisors who I have vetted myself. And what I do is when you come to wealthramp.com, I'm going to ask you a few questions. And by the way, it's private. I don't share your information or anybody's information with advisors or anybody else. You don't get any unsolicited uh, sales pitches or phone calls or anything like that. These are busy advisors. Kendrick's a busy guy, but you want to meet him. So you come to me at WealthRamp.com and I will connect you to the right advisor for the right fit for what you're looking to accomplish.
0: Cool. WealthRamp.com forward slash news is how you would go through me to get to Pam
2: com slash money talks news.
0: Right. Is that what I said?
2: <laughs> That's right. I, I think so. <laughs> is this a sobriety test? I can
1: also tell you briefly why we like Pam's group. It's because we're not buying referrals. We're not buying leads. We're none of that. Pam is actually meeting with people who need help and placing them with the right advisor. So, it, you know, we've been vetted, the client has been vetted and it's a good match right away. Um, And it's not just a money-making scheme like some of the other websites that are out there.
0: Cool, Uh, we are out of time now. I'm gonna go ahead and wrap it up, but really appreciate y'all's time.